Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in John 17. So we're going to take a little pause from Revelation, uh, but when we get back to Revelation, actually I think it's going to be the first uh, Sunday in January, we're going to really hit heavy some of the, the meteor chapters of Revelation. And I tell you what, when you turn on the TV, turn on the news, you see that we're definitely, you see the world system is having all these machinations to push this globalist agenda. And we've been talking about this for months. Uh, I taught Revelation 12 years ago. And man, every 10 years when you teach Revelation, more things come to light. So that's going to be fun. We're going to get into that. But for this morning, today's message is titled Prayer Amidst Trials. Now, this is Jesus praying. Um, I believe he's alone when he prays this prayer. God the Son, the God the Father. Uh, where he prays this prayer is sandwiched in between the Last Supper. It's after the Last Supper and before the Lord's arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane for them to do these mock trials and then for him to be crucified. So you, you get an idea. It's, it was stressful, right? The Son of God. I believe, I don't think it was so much the pain that he was concerned about of crucifixion, although that was bad. God the Son had never sinned, and he was going to have literally the sins of the world dumped on him um, to die for those sins. It was something he had never experienced before, being uh, the eternal God. So it's pretty, if you actually start to think about it, it's actually quite deep. Um, the Lord models this great prayer, which boils down to how do we look at how Jesus models this, and how do we reflect it? You know, what can we take from this? Um, certainly when you're under pressure and you're under stress, materialism really kind of goes out the window because this is, this could be life or death. This could be a serious life decision with incredible consequences. Um, and then we can ask the question, <laughs> you know, 2020 has become a meme at this point. Um, how has 2020 changed us? How has it changed our prayers? How has it shaped our prayers? You see what I'm saying? Now, there's three things we have to look at, because if you're somewhat new to the scripture, you might find this a little difficult to navigate. Uh, and I'll concede that in the beginning, because you have Jesus who is, he's, he's, a, he's positional at this point. Uh, the, the way God the Son reacts with God the Father in this point in time on the earth is way different than how he reacted or interacted pre-incarnation. Jesus always was. He's God the Son, which is also different from uh, post-ascension into heaven, right? How things are now are very different than what you see in this little sliver of time where Jesus was actually on the earth. So you have, a, you have what's called positional issues. You also have Jesus modeling things for us. You know, Jesus taught us how to pray. He taught us and he would, you know, pray to the father and, and the disciples many times, except for in this particular time, they would watch him. Uh, he would model how we're supposed to behave and interact with God, the father. He's our father. But in addition to his modeling, right, there's what we do is we reflect. So he models these prayers. He shows us the way and then we reflect on his behavior. 
So it's, there's a lot to this. And just to get all the facets of prayer into focus, I just want to look at a few things. Is the Lord's Prayer. Some people call it the Disciples' Prayer. Uh, but Jesus, there was four elements to the Lord's Prayer. And the acronym is ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration or praise, right? That's right in the opening in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, C for confession, confessing our sins. T for thanksgiving, thanking God. There's always something to be thankful for. And S for supplication, sort of the wish list comes really last uh, in that acronym. So I want you to call out, what was the only part of Acts that Jesus didn't have to do when he prayed? Louder. Thank you. Confession, because Jesus was sinless. So he, he taught us this model prayer. And he said, when you pray, pray in this like manner, don't keep repeating it, but just in, in this sort of paradigm. But the only thing that Jesus didn't have to do when he, God the Son, spoke to God the Father was confession. We have to do that, but he was sinless. Interesting, isn't it? So Jesus did acts, we do acts. Um, if you look at the parable of the persistent widow, uh, that was a, a lesson in not giving up in prayer. Right? Jesus told the whole parable about how we shouldn't give up in prayer. Sometimes we could be praying for things for years, and then all of a sudden it comes to fruition in God's timing. Uh, intercessory prayer, you look at James 5. Um, sometimes we just, I don't know, and, and it's somebody's, people have called me up and said, the Lord put you on my heart. Um, I just started praying for you. They just were interceding for me. Uh, or I intercede for somebody else, or I know somebody who doesn't know the Lord, and I pray that they get saved. So there's intercessory prayer. There's a lot to prayer. Uh, and also there's various other prayers, some short, some longer. Emergency prayers. God doesn't get offended when we are in a dire situation and we pray quickly. <laughs> that shouldn't be the only time we pray, but that's also part of our lifestyle and our relationship with the Lord. Uh, when I was on patrol and I would go to a gun call or a, a, a knife call, I light sirens, I mean, multitasking, you know, going real fast. And I would just shoot up a flare and say, all right, Lord, you know what's, what I'm going to run into. Give me judgment. Give me safety. So that was an emergency prayer. So we can pray that way. Um, I know for me personally, when I have, when things are calm, I like to go for a walk or a drive. Uh, by myself and talk to the Lord. You know, it's just me and him. So there's a lot of different uh, facets and aspects of prayer. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have a young man who received Jesus not that long ago, and, and we were talking on the phone for about 15 minutes. And I said, okay, so we just had a conversation for 15 minutes. You told me how you feel. You told me your concerns. You had questions because he was like, I'm not really sure how to pray. I said, when we get off the phone, the same way you talk to me, you talk to the Lord. You tell him your concerns. You ask him your questions, right? Pretty neat. You ask him for guidance. You ask him what his will for your life is. And he's not going to necessarily give you the answer right away, but it's a, it's a relationship. That's why it's called a walk with the Lord. So uh, it was pretty neat. You know, we, we kind of modeled it in conversation, and then he didn't expect me to say that. I'm like, now hang up the phone, go by, to be by yourself, and now talk to the Lord, because <laughs> he's more important than me. Um, so we're going to find out a lot through prayer. We're going to learn more about our relationship with God and others through prayer. So with all that, I'm only going to take this in 13 verses, because it's just so meaty that I want to divide it up into two sermons. 
So verse 1 in chapter 17, it says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you as you have given him. Speaking of himself in the third person, somebody get people get tripped up with that, too. Okay, Jesus did that often as you have given him speaking of himself authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. This is really powerful. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. The eternality of Christ. People say Jesus was a created being or, you know, the first time he experienced life was when he was born in the manger. Not true. Jesus is from eternity past. Micah 5.2 tells us that in the Old Testament. Um, when I came out of my mother's womb, that was the first time I experienced life because I'm not eternal. Uh, you know, God had put the soul in, in the infant of me, and that was ground zero. But with Jesus Christ, he just came in the form of a man, but he had lived for, I don't know, however long creation you know, or however long God existed, that's how he, he was, he was an eternal age, but he came in the form of a baby. It's pretty amazing. And it's deep when you think about it. So let's look at this, um, two parts. The first one is Christ prays for himself. He prays for himself. Now this is interesting because, you know, you can take a, a small phrase in the scripture and you could miss it if you're reading it too fast. It says that he spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Now, sometimes you'll hear Christians say today, and, and I don't understand legalism, or maybe I was a little legalistic in the beginning, but it's, hopefully it's a phase that we, we get out of as Christians. You know, we, we feel like we have the right to tell everybody what to do uh, in the church or in their walk with the Lord. But you hear people say, well, if, you're, if you pray, you have to be on your knees. No, you don't. <laughs> you know, in, in the Old Testament, the Jews would often raise their hands and look to the heavens as they prayed, like they wanted to touch God. Um, A.W. Tozer wrote many books, great uh, Christian apologist. Uh, he prayed uh, prostrate. Yes, I got to get the, the, those two words right. <laughs> Face down on the floor, arms and legs spread apart uh, for hours. I got herniations. That would kill my neck. It would be a total distraction. But God bless A.W. Tozer. That's how he prayed. Um, like I said, you can go for a walk and pray to, the, pray to the Lord while you're walking. So I think the legalism, um, it, it gets Christians or it gets people to not want to come to the church because they feel like they're just going to be pounced on or judged by others. You know, here's the deal. When we pray as a group, if, if I say let's pray and some of you are standing and some of you have your hands up and as long as we're all doing the same thing at the same time, that's respectful. You know, we, we pray to God, but God, the son, just, he looked up. I don't know. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Maybe when he looked up, he actually could see the father, something we can't do. And he just starts talking to him. So was, we could close the book now. I mean, this is, this is powerful stuff, right? So I would say this, it's not the position of the body, but it's the position of the heart. Understand? You pray however the Lord leads you to pray. It's not the position of the body, but it is the position of the heart. So verse 1 and 2, he says, Father, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. 
And again, it's a learning curve. He, he, why does he speak of himself in the third person? Um, you know, there's just the way that we study the Bible as Christians, and, and no doubt um, Jesus um, and the way the Lord directed people to write the Scripture, it was just a way for us to understand this position between God the, God the Son and God the Father. So glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Now, how exactly was the son, God the Son, going to glorify God the Father? You know, we have this, if we watch too many TV preachers sometimes, and some of them are solid, uh, but they pump out very shallow Christians because they just think, well, hey, I become a Christian, all my, my wish list is going to be met. And that's not Christianity. That's a very small aspect of asking stuff for ourselves, and we don't always get granted that. But not long from now, when Jesus said, glorify your son, your son wants to glorify you, He's going to be stripped. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be punched in the face. He's going to have a bag put over his head. He's going to be tortured to death, bleed to death, and he's going to suffer. But he's going to pay for the sins of the world. And that's why he came, to pay for our sins. And that is glorifying. Amen? So we, if we listen to the prosperity gospel, we have a different idea of glorification. It's almost like, well, the more wealthy I get and the more all my prayers are answered, um, that's how I'm glorifying God. But that's not accurate. Pastor Rich, Richard Wombrand, uh, he wrote the book Tortured for Christ. He, was, he started the organization Voice of the Martyrs. I followed him for many years. Romanian pastor when the Russians and the, the communists came over and took over Romania and he preached the gospel and they wanted him to tamp it down and they tortured him for 14 years. He testified in front of Congress. I saw the video. He took his shirt off and it was just like in the movies, like these scars across his chest and he never gave up his faith. But his prayer about glorifying God, if you read his works, is he wanted to glorify God by forgiving his torturers. And some of them came to Christ. That's insane. There's the more they beat him, the more he... It, this is, it's just a concept. It's, it's really literally out of this world. So Pastor Richard Warmbrand uh, was a great witness to his fellow Romanians about the power of Jesus Christ. Eventually, they just let him go like the Apostle John. There's not much more we could do to this guy but kill him. Um, so very, very amazing story. And then we have to ask ourselves, how do we look at glorifying God in, in our lives? You know, maybe it's just a good attitude when we're going through a trial. It could be something simple like that. It doesn't mean that we look for problems. Oh, you know, Pastor Warmbrand, you know, I gotta, I want to get persecuted. No, if you're not persecuted, then enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, but you know, we, we, we ask the Lord, how can I glorify you, Lord? What are, what do you want? to do with me in my life. Um, but again, we do go through trials, all of us do, and sometimes it's just having a, a good attitude. And when you really start to break down, just be in the presence of other Christians and, so you don't stumble unbelievers and let them help you through that time. As we're not superhuman. We do break down. Uh, but, you know, how is our general attitude? How is, you know, and, and I've heard people say this, well, where's your God now? And I know a lot of Christians who have heard that through suffering. Well, where's your Jesus now? You know, and they just, they just keep plowing ahead. And that in itself is, is a, is a testament. Well, what, why are they, why are they not mad at God? Why, why don't they leave God? And there's something there. There's a connection that I'm not seeing. Um, we can look at even some really large ministries and see dazzling. And then we can say, but my life is mundane, mundane versus dazzling. 
You know what? You can glorify God through the mundane. Sometimes our lives can be boring for, for periods of time. They can be mundane. I'm just going through the motions. I'm just doing this. I'm just plugging along. Okay, but you can still have a witness to the Lord even through the mundane. We don't all have to have dazzling ministries. Um, and as we mature as Christians, we, again, we look for these opportunities. Uh, verses 3 through 5, he's big on relationship here. You see the intimacy between God the Son and God the Father. And God wants that same intimacy with, with all of us. And this is really important when you think about um, religion versus relationship, which we often preach from this pulpit and is all over the scripture. If you look at Matthew 6, 7, remember when Jesus gave us the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer, he says, when you pray, pray in this manner. He didn't say repeat after me. He said, pray in this manner. So in verse 6, 7, he said, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And this kind of crept into the church, some with, with older denominations and some with the prosperity gospel. Just say it over and over and over and over again. When Jesus asked us to pray like the persistent widow, he wanted us to keep coming to God, but he didn't just want us to belch out mindless repetitions. And mantras and, and all these type of things, it's, it's kind of an Eastern thing where they just say it over and over again, and that's crept into the church. Jesus wants us to have a relationship, which means have discussions with him. Intelligent. He made us intelligent. I believe it's in Isaiah uh, where God says to the people, come, come reason with me. You know, God wanted his people to reason with him. He would ask questions through the prophets. And uh, he, he would want discussions to be had because God made us, uh, you know, sentient and relational beings. Um, verse 3, he says, Jesus says that they may know you. Right, The word gnosko in the Greek is an experiential knowledge. You know, many know of God, but they don't know God. You know, many, the whole world, I, I would say in our country with, with the age of information, everybody in this country, unless they're in some cloistered community, knows who Jesus is. They know of him, but do they know him? Big difference. You know, I could have a, you know, one of my favorite, I don't know, famous people, and I know every stat about him. Um, and then if I go meet him and I go to go shake his hand aggressively, he might get his bodyguards to repel me because I, I know of him, but I don't know him and he doesn't know me. So what Jesus was saying was that um, I want, I have taught my disciples, God the Father, so that they can know you. They can know you. Wanted, even the religious people didn't know the Father. They got into all these mantras and rituals, and they thought they would find God through the rituals. And Jesus was like, no, no, no. Matthew 23 is all about that. So this is enlightening. This is powerful for people who have never read the scripture. Verse 4, both the Father and Son are glorified by providing the way of salvation to all who ever lived. Jesus says in 4, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Again, Jesus didn't speak like this when he was in the, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit pre-incarnation. They all worked in concert. Something very interesting happened when Jesus came from heaven and took the form of a man. There was a, there was a layer. Nobody really knows how much. There was a layer of separation. And then after the uh, ascension, it's back to, I, I don't know, back to normal or, or pre-incarnation um, conditions, so to speak. So as Jesus was on the earth, he only came here not to take a vacation. Oh, I think I'm going to vacation in, on the earth for the next three decades. It was a horrible place. 
um, filled with sin and hatred and war and evil. And uh, Jesus came to, to save our souls. And this was the only way that he could do it. There was no other way. I even praised that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so he, Jesus finishes the work. God sent his son. Right? And then my question to you is, now we, we go back to this, he models, we reflect. Right? Have we finished the work that God has given us to do? Do we even know what that work is? Now, if you're a brand new believer, it's a learning curve. It takes time. You pray and, you know, um, so a lot of these things you don't even ask. You don't even have to ask your pastor or somebody in the church. The Lord will put it on your heart. It's something he wants you to do as he grows you and he matures you. For every single person, every single Christian, it's a different idea. It's a different mission, a different goal. Uh, but it's, it's and it, again, it could be something that you would perceive as mundane. You know what I'm saying? And I'll say this too. I say this to my son. He's 21. You know, he's working with a construction crew now. I'm like, you, you don't get a pass, you know? God has a plan for your life too. God has a goal. God has a ministry for you. You know, our kids, and sometimes, and I hear people in church almost make excuses. Well, you know, they're, they're living with us and, you know, they're going to college now. They're working on this. They're working on that. Well, if they're living in your house, are we... Yeah, this is going to rub some people the wrong way, but are we positive influences to our kids, right? It's not the teacher's job to educate our kids. We should be doing that. It's not the, now in the public schools, right? It's not the Sunday school teacher to teach our kids about God. It's our job. We're the parents. I mean, these are just enjoyable things that we get to experience. Uh, so, you know, and I, I kind of guide my son and, and with his crew and, you know, just, just ask questions and see where he's at. Look, the Lord is doing, he's already doing a work through him and it's pretty neat. Um, continuing on verse five, Jesus says something extremely powerful. He says, and now, O father, so the time is short. This 30 something years, Jesus is on the earth. He's got to go to the cross. Things are going to move very rapidly. Um, within 40 something days, Jesus will be off the earth for good until the second coming, and he will be ascended back into heaven. So 30-something years, uh, 40-something days, this is moving with, with rapid succession. So he says to the Lord, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world ha- was. So uh, post, um, post-ascension, he goes back to where he came from seated at the right hand of the Father, and, and th- things are now different again. And we, we've covered this in Revelation. We saw the powerful Christ. We saw the post-resurrection Christ. There, it's, it's even the Apostle John, who walked with him when he was on the earth, doesn't even really recognize him because he sees Christ in his glorified form. It's amazing. There's so much contiguity in the Scripture. This, it makes so much sense. It, it follows in, in an orderly uh, succession. So... You know, he laid aside this, this glory temporarily to come to the earth, but through dying for our sins, Jesus did something that we couldn't do for ourselves. So that's a glorious thing in itself, right? Christ prays for himself, turns into how can God the Son uh, serve God the Father? How can God the Son serve mankind? And <clears throat> Jesus said that he came as a servant. Imagine that God the Son comes down to earth to serve us. Well, he did it not because we deserve to be served, but he did it because he wanted to save us from judgment and hell. Now, that was his whole idea. So he did it out of love. It didn't matter whether we deserved it or not. We don't, but he did it. So 
you know, that, that's powerful. And, and when we start to understand these things, even when we pray, right, this is about prayer amidst trials. Pastor Joe, you're getting off the track. This is a relationship between God the Son and God the Father. I'm actually not. Because the more we understand God, we understand God the Son, God the Father, we understand um, as we go through our own trials and we have pressure on us and we pray, we start to see that the extraneous and the shallow things kind of get shed and, and we want to have that deeper relationship with the Lord. And it, it takes a while. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, and, and again, the, the question is, do we truly ask how can we serve him? You know, how can we be more in line with his will as a parent, as a spouse, as a child, as an individual, you know, and, and my question is, it's completely tied to my profession. Probably a better word would be my calling or us as pastors and elders. Um, you know, I want to make sure that like when we're and, and my whole staff, we're all in the same sheet of music. We, we meet during the week and we pray and we throw out ideas. We did those classes, which turned out to be fantastic. And if you're not part of the um, Calvary Chapel Crossfield's uh, Facebook group, get on it. And you can see we, you know, the apologetics classes we're starting to put on the Facebook group. We had such a great time. Um, it was such a great turnout, you know, and that turned out to be, I believe, from the Lord. But we, even in, in leadership, in any church, you know, the question shouldn't be what's best for this organization. It should be what's best for what God wants us to do. And that can be a subtle, you know, that could be a very, there's a subtlety there. And we can justify things as believers and go, I'm doing this for God. Are we really doing this for God? Or is there some ulterior motive? So um, if you haven't noticed lately, pastors and clergy crash and burn. Okay. I don't want that to be me. So I pray that I'm in, in line with the Lord. All it takes is one stupid mistake, and pff, that's it. You're on the shelf, um, unfortunately. People are very unforgiving of mistakes when you're in these types of positions. Um, there was a recent a pastor who, uh, in Hillsong Church, he just recently got fired, and some really awful things are coming out. The uh, was a president of uh, Liberty. Um, there was some issues there. So you're, 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 you see these things in the news. Of course, you know, I come from my background as the Catholic church. You see some bad things there. Uh, so, I mean, every person in this position needs to pray that they are in harmony and in line with what God wants, because it's almost like a war where the enemy, if they can take out the leaders, they demoralize the troops. You know, so the maximum impact is to just keep going after the leaders, tempt them, crush them, do whatever they can. And, you know, it's, it's a whole spiritual thing that you understand over time. Um, and I'm just giving you transparency from the pulpit. I'm just being honest with you. Because if I can't be up here and be honest, what can I be? I'm wasting your time and mine. Um, these things happen. And we need to, I have nothing to tell you. <laughs> You're like, where's he going with this? I'm just saying that you read the news and you see this stuff. So that's, that's where I'm going to leave it. Verse 6, we'll continue. He says, uh, I have manifested, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the men who you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them... To, I've given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I tell you, this isn't a generalized prayer. This is extremely specific. I mean, Jesus is going to, into very, in much specificity as he's talking to God the Father, and I believe no doubt that Jesus 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit wanted this recorded so we can see the specificity and what it means. Uh, Verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I'm going to come back to that. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Just so you know, I had to read this a few times, <laughs> you know, um, and that's cool. You know, we, as human beings, we, this things that we really want to know and learn and we'll devote so much time. And then there's some that they read the Bible, they read something and they go, I can't figure this out. I'm not going to do it anymore. Really? This is eternal. This is God. We should be putting more effort into understanding God's will for our lives than the things that aren't going to last through eternity. Amen. So two out of two is Christ prays for his disciples. Uh, Verse six, I have manifested your name to the men you have given me. Now, this can also be translated, alternate translation, I have revealed your nature to them. So when speaking about God's name, there's also an issue about God's nature. So Christ, God the Son, to God the Father, I have revealed your nature to them. We're supposed to point people to God, and the question is, are we? Do people see the Lord in us? Right? Are we good examples? And folks, I'm, I have a gift of evangelism. I just love talking to strangers. <laughs> you know, I just love finding strangers if there's an open door and just talking about the Lord. Everybody doesn't have to do that. We all have different gifts. I was talking to a, a teacher uh, not that long ago, and she's more reserved and, you know, not as hyper as me. And she was just talking about her students, and she was talking about um, and just, just her nature and her character. And then every so often, the question will come up about God, and then it's an open door for her. And I, I just heard some really interesting uh, accounts of she, she lives Christ, and then when the Lord opens the door, she's already got that background because she's living it in her character and her demeanor and her love for her students. So um, that's, that's what it's all about, right? We're all different, and, and we all have different gifts. Um, Pastor Vinny and, and I keep trying to get on the worship team, and Pastor Paul keeps saying no. You know, you're not talented enough, and you, you howl like a, a wolf when you sing. And my wife says the same thing. So, but you know what? It sounds good to God's ears because it's, it's from my heart. So that's not my gift, folks. Instruments, I've tried many instruments, failed miserably. Uh, I don't sing very well. I can't carry a tune to save my life. So, but I, I like listening to worship. You know, it, it's, it's nice. It's something I can't do. Um, So we all have a gift. It's just, if you're new in the faith, it's just something you have to figure out over time. You just have to pray about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, again, speaking about Jesus is reflecting God the Father's nature. So Jesus comes in the form of the flesh, and now he's tangible. You know, they ate with him. He slept in the boat. They slept. um, They walked. They talked. So now God the Son is becoming... Uh, relatable is becoming tangible, but Jesus, God the Son, is still trying to explain to them God the Father. And then he, he basically says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. We're, we're, diff- we're the same, 
um, our modes might, are not, let me scratch that, our um, modus operandi, how we do things right now, me being on the earth is, is going to be a little bit different, but we, we're all in Father, Son, Holy Spirit are in harmony. First uh, Corinthians 11, even the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So what does that tell us? That tells us, Paul didn't say imitate me all the time. Now, I wouldn't say imitate me all the time, because guess what? As sinners, we have bad days. So the Apostle Paul, in his wisdom, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was basically saying, when I'm on, you know, which I would say was most of his life, um, with his ups and downs, when he imitated Christ and he reflected Christ, that's when they would see Christ in him, and that's when his you know, Timothy and, and his protégés would say, well, I want to be like that. They're, they're imitating Christ. So I just want to make sure we get all that. Again, there's a lot to this. There's um, the example. There's the uh, Jesus praying. There's, uh, there's the position. So, you know, it's, it's all a, a puzzle. But when you put it all together, it, it makes perfect sense. And this is where people stumble. And people say, well, because Jesus did this at this point in history, he must have been a created being. That's bad exegesis, and that's bad logic. It doesn't even carry any weight. It makes no sense. If you don't follow the way the Bible is to be understood, you can make the Bible say anything, and that's not what God wants for us. Now, let's look at this, too. He speaks about given to be given to God um, or to be given to Jesus as, as a gift, and then Jesus gives the people to God. So there's a, there's a picture of ownership here right? Ownership. God, I know this after 20 something years, God owns me. And that's cool. I don't have a, there's no stigma. There's, I'm not triggered. Nobody else, no human does, but God owns me. And, and that's a good thing. I'm one of his own. And this is, this is an interesting thing because you can differentiate solid teachings from false teachings, sometimes from the obvious with cults and false ministries, the leaders act as if they own those followers. I mean, they tell them what to do. They tell them who to marry. They tell them where they can live. It gets weird. So the only one who owns us is God because God is pure, right? We don't want to have that with people, but we do want to have it with God. Um, And my advice, because I get close to people, I enjoy people and in New Jersey over the years, we've had a lot of people leave New Jersey. We just talked about that in the announcements. My advice to my staff and myself and my family is, you know what? Enjoy people while God has them in your presence. God may move them on. We've had some young ladies get married and move out of state. And I did the wedding and it was sad, but I don't own them, right? I enjoyed them. I enjoyed doing the wedding. And then we, you let them go, right? So the only one who owns us is, is God. And that's a good feeling. Verse 6, he says, God the Son get, says God, to God the Father, they have kept your word. Now in John 14, Jesus said, right, to all of his followers, including us, if you follow me, or excuse me, back up, if you love me, follow my word, right? People can get, and it's cool, people get very emotional. I love Jesus, my heart swoons, that's cool. But it also has to be based on fact. And if we don't read the Bible or we blow off the scripture, we're not loving Jesus as, as emotional as we might feel about the name of Jesus. So Jesus said, if you love me, you follow my word. He says, those that don't love me, don't follow my word. Will we do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But Jesus, did the disciples do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But what Jesus did is he revealed God's name or his character to these men that were with him. And then the women started to follow as well. He had a huge following after the resurrection. 
Um, but he manifested God's character to them, and he also manifested their word to them. That's why we're a teaching church. We go through the scripture. Because if we don't go to the scripture, I can just say anything I want. You might say, well, I trust Pastor Joe. I'll go along with it. That's a problem. Everything has to be based on the word. There are gray areas. We pray about those. But if it's black and white in scripture, it's what we follow. So Jesus taught these men, his followers, the word. But he also said that they kept the father's word as they started to understand it, which is excellent. Right? Um, he would keep seeing the word. There's a lot of words used here. Glory over and over and over again. Uh, my wife will remember that one of the one of the things my pastor was my pastor was a, a man of a few words, but he would just come out with these nuggets and we're like that's it. <laughs> but they were good nuggets. You realize decades later that she she knows probably what I'm going to say. My pastor would always say, "Don't steal God's glory. Don't." Don't let it get to your head. Don't let people say, you know, they, they compliment you and flatter you to the point where you have this, this your head is so big you can't fit through the door. Uh, but my pastor would say, don't steal God's glory. The only one who deserves glory is God. And I'll just tell you right now, anything good that I am, if you like the message, it comes from the Lord. Because I pray through my messages. I pray about what to write. I, I sometimes agonize. Lord, I understand this, but it's a little hard to teach. And, and I, I want him to empower me to get you guys that at the end of the service, after the last worship song, you say, you know what, I, I got that passage of scripture. And I've done my job and God gets the glory. I can't take the credit for it. Yeah. Verse 8, he says, they know that I came from you again. It's, it was obvious, right? Even Nicodemus in, in John 3 so cool. He's a, he's a Pharisee. He's, he's of the order of religious people that really wanted to get rid of Jesus, but he sneaks away at night, comes to Jesus, and he said, we know that you are a teacher come from God, but he didn't fully understand who Jesus was. But when he saw the miracles and he saw the purity and he saw the fact that he wasn't looking to get rich and, you know, Nicodemus did some observation. He broke ranks with his religious order. And isn't that amazing how religion cannot understand and accept Jesus. That happens today. Not all, but some. Um, but he, he basically said to Jesus, I, I know this from my observations, listening to you, watching you, but you got to fill in the whole picture for me. And Jesus did that. John chapter three, pretty neat. This very high and lofty man comes to Jesus and completely humbles himself to learn more about him. He says, but I know you came from God. So it didn't take much for people to figure out that Jesus came from God when he walked the earth. Okay, verse 9. And again, it will, people will read the Bible and, and, and they get hung up on stuff, and that's cool. And maybe your pink card and the Q&A, if you get hung up on something, write it before you, you leave a little plug for Q&A and put it in the box. Uh, but to me, if I w- objectively, if I was reading this and I didn't know much about the Bible... And I read the part where he said, I do not pray for the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up. Didn't God so love the world? John three sixteen. Let's follow this. I do not pray for the world, but he says later that all those that would believe, where do they come out of? The world. So how do we rectify this? All right, let's go back to, um, you know, grade school mathematics. Sets and subsets, okay? Remember that? This is an easy one. So the set, S-E-T, is, is the world. 
is all the people, the quadrillions or quintillions, I don't know how many people lived and died since the beginning. Um, they're all in this tremendous set. And that set is the world. It's the world system. It's a system. And wh- where do we live? We don't live on Mars or some utopia somewhere. We live on the planet Earth. The planet Earth has been marred due to sin. So in the world is a set of all the people who have ever lived. There's a subset in that set, which is smaller. By what percentage? I have no idea. But in that subset is those who have believed in God, trusted him by faith, and they've almost kind of come out of the set, even though they still physically live there until they pass away, that they've come to God, right? So when Jesus says, I don't pray for the world, the world, I believe it's cosmos in the Greek, it has multiple meanings. It can mean the world system. Right? Sometimes it can mean the people. But he doesn't, Jesus doesn't pray for the world system because in a fallen creation, remember, Satan has a lot of control over what goes on around here because of sin. So he knows that, you know, the, the, the Bible says that the God's desire is that all people come to him. He, God wants to save everybody, but the reality is it's not going to happen. There's going to be a percentage that come. So he prays for the people to come out of that set into the subset, and they become his. You, you see where I'm going with this? So it's, um, it's a little bit of a learning curve, you know, because you can almost say, well, it sounds like doublespeak. It's really not, you know, when you understand the, the difference in the numbers there. Uh, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, coming out of that set to the subset, would believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. And once they're his, he says, no one can snatch them out of my hands. So, oh my goodness, I did this on Saturday night. I lost my salvation. Nope, you didn't. Do you love Jesus? Did you you believe that he died for your sins? Has he sealed you with his Holy Spirit? You're good to go. It doesn't mean we should do foolish things, but we are going to do foolish things. Understand? All of us, including me, we do foolish things because we're sinners. But one day that's not going to happen anymore. We won't have to struggle against that old nature anymore. Uh, Okay, verse 11. Jesus knew his time on the earth was short, but his desire... (laughs) Some of these things we don't have to read to know, or God the Son didn't have to tell God the Father as if he didn't know, but it's, it's here for our edification. You know, when we read the Bible, we look into the spiritual realm, we look into things we would have never seen. There was no recordings. Um, This is how we know God through what's said here. So he wants his desire and his prayer is for God the Father to keep those of the faith on the right path while Jesus did it on the earth. Now, as in John 15, maybe somebody can find that for me. Or the end of 14. I think it's 15. Uh, he says, it's right here. It's like one page over. <laughs> 15. <laughs> um, when the helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Pretty interesting. So there's, it's called contiguity, which means there's a, almost like a chain of custody with us, right? So Jesus is like, I was here on the earth. I led them to salvation. Um, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to ascend into heaven. 
God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit understood this chain of custody with us. You know, we were to be sealed with the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sent. So you see all three of them involved. And, this, and the Spirit of Truth would guide us and convince us and convict us and help us in our darkest times. So there was, there was a chain of custody. So, you know, he, Jesus said when I, basically when he goes to be crucified, he goes to be to heaven, he goes, I don't leave you as orphans. Right? His, his, he's a spiritual parent. He doesn't go to heaven and say, all right, you're on your own. No. 2 Corinthians 1, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit kind of takes over, right? So in the Old Testament, you saw a lot with God the Father. In the New Testament, you see a lot with God the Son. When, when God the Son is at the right hand of the Father after the ascension, you see the Holy Spirit. So there's that contiguity there. Pretty interesting. Verse 12, he says, none is lost except the son of perdition, which we understand as Judas Iscariot. But God always allows people to repent. Judas and Peter, people don't realize this. Judas and Peter both sold Jesus out in different ways, right? When Jesus is being beaten and, and kangaroo courted and Peter is over here, he's, he's, he's an eye shot and ear shot, and he's denying Jesus every time somebody comes to him. No, I saw you. You were with him. Your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. He even called down swears, possibly cursing. I do not know the man. He, Peter was scared. And then he looks over at Jesus. Jesus shoots him a look, probably of love, and Jesus weeps, excuse me, Peter weeps bitterly. And he repents. He becomes one of the greatest apostles that ever lived, right? Judas had that possibility too, but he took a different route. Um, and, you know, I, he, I don't believe from reading the scripture that he repented before he died. That's just my opinion. Now, there is a theory, and I'll, I'll go through this really quickly, and I've done a lot of research on this. So Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector who he sells out his own people pretty much, and then he becomes a disciple, uh, he calls James and John and Peter rough fishermen. He calls uh, Thomas, who's got an issue with doubting. <laughs> he calls, so th this is a very diverse group. They're all, and then he calls Judas, who some believe, and it's not fact, but it's a good theory, that he was a zealot. He was a Sakari, right? He was a, a dagger man. Um, he was, you know, we're going to wait in the bushes and ambush the Roman soldiers and kill them as many as we can because they're oppressing the Jewish people. Interesting, isn't it? So you could imagine how Judas might have interacted with Matthew. Uh, Jesus was able to, able to keep everybody from, I guess, you know, bad things. So, uh, but the idea with Judas was when that he, he did, it did seem that Jesus was Messiah. He did see the miracles. He goes along with Jesus's band of men. And when he realizes that Jesus keeps pushing this, I'm going to go to the cross thing and I'm not going to destroy the Romans, uh, Judas becomes disillusioned and uh, he does what he does. So it's, it's fun conjecture, but um, he just, you know, he, 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 was, he was lost. And it is what it is. You know, people have a lot of questions and theories and might show up on here, but... At the end of the day, worry about yourself, not Judas. <laughs> so and people do that. But what if just you serve the Lord? <laughs> you know, let Judas stand for his things. Okay, verse 13. And I'll leave it at this. A lot in here, joy. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy 
fulfilled in themselves. Jesus, well, Jesus is going to the cross. What joy? If you were on death row for a crime you didn't commit, could you have joy? Apparently you could. So Jesus, he knows what awaits him in his prescience or omniscience. And and there's a lot of questions about how much he, uh, kenosis, how much he emptied himself come to the, the earth. I can almost see Jesus. He, he can see the troops putting on their armor, getting their swords, their helmets. They're ready to go out with an arrest warrant and take Jesus. He knows all this, but he still has joy. He's still praying for others. He's still thinking of others. He's still, and, and the disciples, and if I was there, I, I probably wouldn't be much help either. I just say that ahead of time, but you know, they fall asleep when they're supposed to be praying with them. They're supposed to, you know, have that com- camaraderie, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane, you got to keep waking them up because can't you keep your eyes open? So, um, like everybody abandons Jesus, you know, the crowds, the throngs of people turn from Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas, man. But he was so, and, and he died for their sins too. It's, it's mind-blowing. But Jesus has joy. Now, again, how do we model this? How do we model this? And let me just, because I'm not picking, but let me just say this, that I, I have rough periods too. My wife and I go through trials like everybody else. Uh, but there's a, there's a thread of we love the Lord and this is good for everyone and he really can make your decisions better. There's so much he has to offer, everlasting life. There's, there's a contingent of Christians that we've probably all met that they almost feel like the more they can be miserable. You ever see the, the sour, like the, the Christian who looks like they chewed on a, a, a fresh lemon and they, they got that face? It's like they, they, their idea of sanctification is not having any fun in the world. That's not here. Jesus said he had joy. We can have joy in the midst of trials. You see what I'm saying? That they may have my joy fulfilled in them, fulfilled, that's a big word, in themselves, even when the state of the world is awful. I got to be honest with you, just reading the news every day and, and even my prior career as a police officer, if I wasn't a Christian, I don't know where I would be. I might be hitting the bottle too much or something. Because this, this world is a depressing place. And sometimes, you know, I've been doing this for over two decades. I say to myself, what do people do who don't have Jesus? How do they cope? Well, there's a lot of ways people cope. And a lot of them are dysfunctional. They're not healthy. So, you know, we focus a lot on the spiritual aspect. Oh, he saved my soul. I'm going to heaven. And that's awesome. But Jesus also cares about our mental state. He also cares about our emotional state. And I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling right now and you're a Christian, if you didn't know the Lord, it might be a lot worse. You know, sometimes we have to step. I'm a big picture guy. Step back and look at the big picture. And, and I ask myself that way that, you know, I, I don't know why I like to look at the news and see what's going on. It's, it's like torture. Uh, but if I didn't know the Lord, how would I handle just the depressing things that are going on in our country and the world? Probably very different. So joy, you know, I, I, I like to have clean fun. I like to joke around. I, I like to, to laugh. I like to have a good time with people. 
and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so uh, I'll leave you with this. Prayer amidst trials. John 17 teaches us a lot. We know more about God, but we also know more about ourselves, right? So we're reading this, God the Son, God the Father, prayer amidst trials, how does it affect me? The more we really dig into this, and if we model Jesus, we, we can get closer to God, even if our current circumstances, negative ones, don't change. Check this out, too. We can bring other people closer to God just by our, our demeanor and our character, you know, most people who want better for their lives would prefer to gravitate to those who are positive, who seem like, you know, they can struggle too, but th- there's something that they're anchoring to, you know. And I got to tell you that even all the guys, the men, the older men who had witnessed to me for years, and I, I didn't come to Christ until I was in my mid to late 20s. Even though I wasn't ready, I looked at them and I, there was a, a side of me that thought, I'd like to be them one day. You know, they just were, and they had ailments, they had sicknesses. They, one guy was practically blind um, and he worked as a, as a carpenter with me in my side jobs and during the summer in between college semesters. And this, this man, he was like 78 and he would preach to all of us young guys. He had such a powerful impact on my life. And when I got saved, I went back to see him. Um, but you, you naturally, and I'm talking to the people who are watching on live stream, you, you want to gravitate to those people that it isn't just body, soul, and spirit. There's something else in their life that you can't put your finger on, right? That you want to be around them and maybe a part of you. If you, even if you don't admit it, you want to be like them. So the closer we get to God, the more we ask, how can he use me? You know, A, to be aligned with his will, and B, to apply it to our lives and to spread it around to others. And I know for me personally, I just want to see people get saved. I want to see people who are, um, even who are backslidden, come back to the Lord, rededicate their lives. I want to see more of us, and, and if I could be a part of it somehow, to, to reach out to this lost and hurting world. There's a lot of sad and depressed people out there. The statistics, especially during all of 2020, this was like the year from hell, so to speak, if I could say that, Um, you know, one thing after the other, it's affecting people emotionally and mentally, you know, and and I want to know, just being transparent with you, how can I help somebody? How can I, maybe the last, somebody who hangs out here to the last minute when everybody's gone and they say, hey, I just want to, can I just talk to you? Can you just pray with me? I'm going through this. That is such a, a rewarding thing. And everyone's gone. Nobody sees it. But God sees it. And, and that's what it's all about, brothers and sisters. So as we look at Jesus, we can never go wrong as we reflect on what he models for us. Prayer amidst trials. Let's pray. You've been listening to to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields 
by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.